0: In these podcasts, we uncover one chapter after another from the life of the Prophet ﷺ in an attempt to learn about him, love him, and better ourselves through his example. Immersion, mentorship, companionship, and tarbiyah. These are just a few of the things we offer alongside knowledge of the prophetic biography at the Seerah Intensive. Two weeks dedicated to the study of the life of the Prophet ﷺ and his noble characteristics so this winter inshallah join me in Dallas Texas alongside your classmates from all over the world to learn the story of the life of the best of humanity the mercy to mankind the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam go to seerahintensive.com to register or for more info Bismillah walhamdulillah wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Inshallah continuing with our study of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa the prophetic biography. In the last couple of sessions we've been talking about the Battle of Hunayn. The Battle of Hunayn as we talked about was in the aftermath of the conquest of Mecca, Fathul Makkah, where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa along with 10,000 Muslims returned back to Mecca in order to deal with the fallout of the violation of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. Sulhul Hudaybiyah. After Mecca was basically secured and the Prophet ﷺ spent about 20 days in the city of Mecca, at that particular time, as we talked about, the news came that there was an army that was amassing comprised of the people of Ta'if along with the Bedouin tribes between Mecca and Ta'if that were known as Hawazin the tribes of Hawazin. So they all gathered together and they launched, were gathering together for this offensive against the Muslims. The Prophet Wasallam took the Muslims that had come to Mecca along with... Some of the Meccans who had just recently entered into the fold of Islam, they joined the Prophet ﷺ and they all proceeded on forward to deal with the threat coming from the place of Hunain. That's where the battle occurred was the Valley of Hunain. And we talked about in the previous battle that when they arrived there in the battlefield, how Muslims were, had a larger number. And this led to just some level of... You know, overconfidence on the part of some of the Muslims. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about this in the Qur'an, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught them this lesson there at the place of Hunain, that it is not the numbers, it is not the quantity that makes a difference, rather it is the quality. And so we talked about the miraculous victory. The Prophet ﷺ and 80 some odd believers were able to achieve after the initial push that the enemy made at the place of Hunain, and much of the Muslim army was scattered, the Prophet ﷺ rallied together some of the more veteran and senior companions and they basically made a second defensive, a second push and they were able to achieve a very miraculous victory at that time and at that place. Now, what we'll be talking about is what happens after the Battle of Hunayn. There's another campaign expedition. It is somewhat, once again, connected to the Battle of Hunayn, which is connected to the conquest of Mecca. But it is identified within the books of Sirah as its own independent expedition. And that is known as Ghazwat Al-Ta'if, the Battle of Ta'if. The Battle of Al-Ta'if. Now before we get there, the Prophet ﷺ at the Battle of Hunayn, Dealing with a lot of the fallout from there, gathering together the spoils of war, collecting all the people together, sorting through all the different affairs, the Prophet ﷺ appointed uh, Mas'ud ibn Amr al Ghifari رضي الله تعالى to manage and to deal with all of this. And then there were the people who fled from the Battle of Hunain, the enemy. They went in two directions. One group of them, a smaller group of them, went to a place called Autas. They went to a place called Altas. And this was also outside of the city of Ta'if. The Prophet ﷺ himself, he did not go to Altas. He sent some of the sahaba رضي Ta'ala under the leadership of Abu Amir al-Ash'ari. Abu Amir al-Ash'ari. This is a cousin of Abu Musa al-Ash'ari And they were amongst the Ash'ariyun, that tribe that had accepted Islam and joined the Muslims during the battle of Khaybar. So the Prophet ﷺ appointed Abu, Abu Amr al-Ash'ari as a leader upon, these, uh, upon this little group that the Prophet ﷺ sent to deal with the threat that was kind of regathering itself at the place of Al-Tas, And the, it's not very complicated. They, basically, they went there and they met the group that was there. There was a little bit of a skirmish between the two groups. And ultimately, the group of the enemy that had gathered together at Altas, they surrendered and Abu Amr and Abu Musa al-Ash'ari, the narration mentions that Abu Amr actually was injured and eventually died due to that injury. So Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiallahu ta'ala his cousin, who basically took care of the affairs after his cousin was injured, he basically settled the issue there, handled everything, and then went to go join the Prophet wasallam. Now where was the Prophet wasallam? So the larger group of the enemy that fled, particularly the people of al they went back to their home, their City of Taif. I talked about this. I had alluded to this previously. That the people of Taif, their particular strategy was that they had built walls around the city. They had fortified their city, and so they went back into the city. They locked up and closed up the gates, and they had huge walls. Basically an entire fortress they had created, like a mini city inside of a fortress. And they locked themselves inside of there. And the second thing I had mentioned was that the people of Attaif they had figured out a defense strategy. Their defense strategy was that they were very, very well trained, organized, and, and very synchronized in terms of archery. So they had kind of like an aerial defense. So what they would do is that they would lock up these gates, they would fortify themselves inside, they had places where archers could be positioned on top of the walls, and then they would basically have this synchronization of the archers where there was this constant barrage of arrows that would come down on anyone that was approaching the walls, anyone that was approaching the city. And so that's what they basically started to do. The Prophet ﷺ went with the larger contingent of the Muslims and they approached the city of taif When they arrived there, when they reached there, they found that the people of Ta'if had basically locked themselves up and secured themselves inside the walls, inside the fortress. Now their first taste of it, and there's a lot of different narrations that mention it that When they first started to approach the walls of Atta'if, taif the people of Atta'if, taif as they had their defense strategy laid out, they started to rain down the arrows upon the army. And the narration mentions that many of the Muslims started to succumb to injuries and started to fall due to these arrows coming down, and they were left basically defenseless because it was just a constant barrage, just continuously coming down in all different directions at different, different parts of the army. So it was very hard to defend against. And so they started falling due to that and immediately they backed away from there and they positioned themselves a bit away from the walls of the fortress at a safe distance where the arrows could not reach. And they basically set up camp over there. Now that they set up camp over there, what to do now? So the Prophet ﷺ said that we will wait them out. And the narrations mention different Durations, different numbers Some mentioned 17 days, some mentioned That there were 20 plus days And the more sound narration is that It lasted for a little more than 20 Days, they just stayed camped out there The Muslims did, and the people of Ta'if Stayed inside of their fortress, inside of their Walls, and there were different moments There were different times, where somebody Would try to get close, would try to scout Out the walls, try to explore maybe Some weakness within the walls, and Every time they got close, because those are Archers would work in shifts. So every time somebody got close enough, they would immediately start coming down with arrows. And it became very very difficult and very stressful. And the narration mentions that the Prophet ﷺ at that distance, because they were there for more than 20 days, the Prophet ﷺ even established a place to pray, where they would congregate and they would pray together, and there's a masjid that's located there till today. So that kind of became one of the masajid established by the Prophet ﷺ, because they were there for more than 20 days. And so, this basically continued. Now, before I get to how this was eventually concluded, because the story itself in the duration is pretty much the same, right? They were camped out there, they were waiting them out. The people of Ta'if said, listen, we have a whole city inside of this fortress. We got food in here, we got water in here, we got supplies in here. We can wait you all out as well. And so, this, it was kind of like this standoff, And they both basically were just camped out Both camps were there And they were just waiting each other out And so it was pretty much just standard operating procedure Where they waited Every now and then there would be a little bit of an advance Somebody would try to explore some opportunity But the second that they did that Immediately the arrows would start coming down And that would make them back out again But in the meantime While all this was happening and all this was transpiring There are a few very interesting things that occurred That I wanted to share here today The first thing that occurred was that the Prophet ﷺ made a proclamation at that time. The Prophet ﷺ made two proclamations, excuse me. The two proclamations were, number one, the Prophet ﷺ announced. He had announced and he had the message basically announced there to the people of Ta'if that whosoever from amongst the people of Ta'if will come out from there which normally, in normal circumstances, in this type of a confrontation, would be seen as surrendering. Whosoever from the people of Ta'if will join us, no harm will be done to them, no harm shall come to them. No harm shall come to them. Not even with the condition of that they come out from there and they accept Islam and they join us. Not even that. Whosoever wants to come out from there and come to us, that person will be safe. And there's narrations that mention the fact that, and there was a very famous Sahabi radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that he basically came out from there. He scaled down the wall and he came out from there. And a few others, once he came out and they saw that he was safe, there were quite a few people who defected. There were quite a few people who left Taif. And they basically came and they joined the Muslims, they joined the Prophet And the character, the honesty of the Prophet was really remarkable. Whosoever from the people of Ta'if came out from there, the Prophet received them, told them that they were safe and sound, gave them food and shelter, told them they had nothing to worry about. And in fact, the Prophet then would, would then choose a Sahabi. He would then choose a Muslim and he would say, you are his buddy. You are his buddy, like the buddy system. That you are his sponsor, you are his buddy, you are responsible for taking care of him. That making sure that he gets something to eat is your job, and he will ride with you on your transportation when we leave here. So, everyone shall be taken care of. So, this was the first proclamation made by the Prophet, and this was that sign of benevolence that the Prophet Wasallam that gesture of benevolence that he made. The second proclamation made by the Prophet that's very fascinating was that the Prophet وسلم, said, Man kharaja ilayna fahua hurun. Man kharaja ilayna fahua hurun. And in the riwayah of Imam Ahmad, Abdullah bin Abbas, radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, he clarifies what that exactly meant. He said, Anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam kana yu'atiqu man ja'ahu minal abidi qibala mawalihim aslamu. That the Prophet said that any of the slaves, any of the slaves that lived in Ta'if, particularly those who were interested in accepting Islam, if they came out to the Muslims, if they came out from behind the fortress and joined the Muslims, the Prophet freed them, and declared them to be free men. And I'm gonna jump forward in the story here, and I'll, I'll, I'll fill in the gaps later, but I'll jump forward in the story. Basically, what we'll talk about towards the end of today's session is that eventually the people of Ta'if would accept Islam in the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ. Okay? So, some of the slaves, some of the slaves who left the fortress of Ta'if and came out to the Muslims, the Prophet ﷺ had guaranteed them their freedom, that you would be free men. So they were freed. When they came out, the Prophet ﷺ declared them to be free men. Later on, When almost a year later, when the people of Taif would accept Islam and would reconcile with the Prophet ﷺ and make peace with the Muslims, some of those people of Taif said that some of us have slaves that belong to us that had left the fortress and joined you at that time and left with you. We would like those slaves returned back to us. We would like those slaves return back to us. And the Prophet ﷺ, so they said, Return back to us, our slaves who had joined you. And the Prophet said, "La, absolutely no. Absolutely not. Those people were freed for the sake of Allah. God freed those people. So they shall not be returned back to slavery. They are free men. And that was another very remarkable thing done by the Prophet ﷺ at this particular juncture of Al-Ta'if. And one, the, one of the stories about one of these slaves is very, very touching, it's very remarkable. One of these slaves who basically came out from behind the walls and joined uh, the Muslims, his name at that time was muttaji muttaji al muttaji Very strange. In Arabic it just means lying down, like someone who's laying down. al muttaji like Sleepy, alright? That was his name. Just a nonsensical name. He was a slave, somebody probably gave him a silly name. When the Prophet ﷺ asked him, what's your name? And he said, Al المتجع. The Prophet ﷺ said, "La, بَلْ أَنْتَ Mumbaith." He said, no, you were standing up. So his name was like Sleepy, and the Prophet named him Upright. He said, Al Mumbarith, You are standing up. You are an upright person. And مُنْبَعِثْ not only means somebody who is like resurrected or somebody who stands up, but it has that connotation of being upright. So the Prophet gave him a very dignified name and then bestowed upon him his freedom and then refused um, to basically return him back uh, to slavery when somebody came later on trying to claim him. And it is at this particular time that the Prophet Amr bin Abbas, radiyallahu a companion of the Prophet وسلم, he narrates. Imam al-Bayhaqi brings a narration that he quotes that the Prophet وسلم, at this moment, he encouraged the Muslims to free slaves. The Prophet وسلم, said, the Prophet ﷺ said, whosoever um, frees a Muslim man, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make every bone in the body of that slave a protection for that person from the fire of hell. admin bi For every bone of his body that you have granted freedom to, God will free every similar bone of your body from the fire of hell. And then he said, وَأَيُّمَا إِمْرَأَةٍ مُسْلِمَةٍ أَعْتَقَتْ إِمْرَأَةً مُسْلِمَةً فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ عَزَ وَلَلْ جَاعِلٌ كُلَّ عَظْمٍ مِنْ عِذَامِهَا وِقَاءً كُلِّ عَظْمٍ مِنْ عِذَامِهَا مِنَ النَّارِ The Prophet ﷺ said, Every Muslim woman who frees a Muslim woman will be granted freedom from the fire of hell, each bone exchange in exchange, each limb in exchange for the other's limb. That whoever you grant freedom to, in exchange for that, you will be granted freedom from the fire of hell. You will be protected from the fire of hell. So this beautiful narration. And so this was also said by the Prophet Wasallam at this particular juncture. Now, I was telling you about that, basically, the course of events kind of transpired, you know, similarly for the next 20 some odd days, and it was kind of a stalemate in that regard. The Prophet وسلم, they just kept on waiting and the arrows would just kind of keep on coming. And they couldn't get any closer, and so it was a stalemate. So in the narration of Bukhari, Imam Bukhari has this narration, Abdullah bin Amr bin Al asr radiallahu ta'ala he says, الله الله شيئan, that after they sieged the city of Ta'if for a number of days and there was no progress being made, one day, finally, after 20 some odd days, the Prophet ﷺ said, "Inna qafiluna We shall leave tomorrow. We're just gonna leave. We're just gonna pack up and go away. And we'll see another day. Alright? So we're leaving tomorrow. So some of the sahaba, they kind of felt they felt bad, like they, 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 they kind of felt bad, they felt down on themselves. They kind of felt like they had failed. Like we should have been able to achieve victory here. So they kind of felt it a little bit. And so they said to the Prophet lot. especially, you know, usually it's younger men, they have a lot of zeal, a lot of energy, right? So sometimes, a lot of times it would be like the young men who would have a lot of fervor. So they said, نذهب walā نَفْتَحُهُ We're just gonna leave. We're not going to wait out we 're not going to wait for victory we 're not going to go on the offensive and try to get victory we 're just going to leave. And the prophet وسلم, when he heard them and he kind of realized that they were a little riled up, the prophet said, "U al okay, if you think that you can get victory, then Bismillah go for it. Launch an offensive, launch an attack. I give you permission. go so they Got together, they organized themselves, and he said, "Let's launch an offensive and attack." And they launched an attack, and the arrows started coming down. And as soon as the arrow came down, the arrows started coming down. They started dropping like flies. People getting injured, hit with arrows, dragging them out from there, and they basically were repelled back by the arrows. Then the second time, the Prophet ﷺ said, "Inna qafiluna ghadan insha after they made this attack and they retreated back and they came back, the Prophet said, we shall leave tomorrow. And they said, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. The Prophet laughed at them. He said, you don't listen. Right? Young people sometimes, first time around, they don't listen. You have to kind of scuff your knee to learn the lesson. You have to kind of learn the lesson the hard way. It's, see, and this, there's something really remarkable and beautiful in this. There's a couple of things I want to highlight in this, because this is the epitome. The Prophet Wasallam is the epitome of leadership. The epitome of leadership. What do we learn from this moment from the Prophet And even the Sahaba. The first thing that we learn is the fact that, we learn that if you sometimes find yourself in a position of responsibility, leadership, and you sometimes have trouble convincing, communicating with the people that you are leading, that is not some epic crisis that cannot be overcome. The Sahaba, there was no believers ever who were better than the Sahaba. خَيْرُ الْقُرُونِ خَيْرُ الْقُرُونِ The Prophet ﷺ said, my generation is the best of generations. Allah Allah fi The Prophet said, these are my companions, he said. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala declares in the, uh, declares in the Qur'an وَالسَّابِقُونَ الْأَوَّلُونَ That the sahaba, God is pleased with them. Muhammad is a messenger of God and those who are with him. All right, and on and on. Abdullah bin Mas'ud says, God chose these people for the companionship and the support of His Messenger. They're the best people. But you see, even sometimes they would have like these moments where they would be like, The Prophet is saying, We're leaving. And they're saying, Really? We're going to leave? We're not going to try a little bit more? That we need to understand. We have to learn to understand that that is not disrespect, that is not defiance, that is sometimes just part of the human nature. That is part of the human nature. And more often than not, as I commented earlier, new people, younger people, will sometimes be more prone, will sometimes be more prone to this type of, you know, a response. But we cannot see it as some insurmountable offense, or we cannot see it as defiance. We can't demand and expect for human beings to not be human beings anymore. Human beings will have sensitivities, they'll have sentiments, they'll have ideas, they'll have thoughts, they'll have inspirations, aspirations, motivations. It's natural, it's only natural. And we have to learn to manage that. We have to learn to handle that. That's part of leadership. Okay? The second thing, the second thing is look how the Prophet ﷺ handles it. The first time when he says, We're leaving tomorrow, Allah. Did he say, did he ask them, Should we leave tomorrow? Was that a question format? It wasn't. He didn't ask them, What do you think? He didn't say should we leave? He said we are leaving. It's a command. It's an order. It's a directive. Me, even in my position of responsibility or leadership, wherever I might be in that position, I, I might not have the authority to just issue a command. But if anyone has ever possessed the authority and the ability to issue a command, it's Muhammad Rasulullah But they respond. They don't talk back. It's not disrespectful. There's young people. They're inquisitive. They're eager. And they say, wa They're asking. They're saying, we're going to leave. We're not going to try harder. Now, how you handle that moment says a lot about your leadership ability and skills. Right? Do you yell and scream? Do you crack down? Do you reject them? Do you reprimand them? What? How dare you? Did it sound like a question? Was I asking you a question? I said, we're going. And ask for your input. Right? And we sometimes admire. This is something I talk about quite often. We in our culture today admire that. We say, like, that's a leader. Iron fist. Throw down the hammer. He says it like it is. He means business. It's all nonsense. It's all garbage. Nobody was a better, stronger, more effective, more successful leader than Muhammad Rasulullah Sallallahu wa Look what he says. He says, "Uhdu al If you would like to try, give it one more try. Go ahead. Give them a chance. And then, when they failed, the Prophet Sallallahu wa did not stand there and be like, "Told you so." Didn't I say it? The Prophet Sallallahu wa just said, "Inna qafiluna Just repeat. again, he said, "InshaAllah, we'll leave tomorrow." And then when they said, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, fa'ajabakum, they were very excited, yeah, yeah, let's go, let's go, let's leave. The Prophet couldn't help himself, but just, then he just laughed. <laughs> right, because it's just the reality of the moment. And it reminded the Prophet that people are people. And you have to kind of work with them. You have to work with people. And that's this remarkable moment from the life of the Prophet Wasallam. We learned so much about how to handle adversity, how to handle difficulty, how to handle challenges. All right? And they, those challenges can be moments to build. They don't always have to be moments of doom and destruction. But they can be moments to build something really special, really remarkable. The Prophet Wasallam, one of the very powerful moments from the life of the Prophet Wasallam, is that... Before they left there, before they left there, some of the Sahaba, it's a narration in the book of Tirmidhi, Jabir bin Abdullah radiallahu ta'ala anhu, a young Sahabi, he says, Before they left at Ta'if, some of the companions came to the Prophet ﷺ and they said, أَحْرَقَتْنَا nibalu ثَقِيفٍ Nibal means arrowheads. The arrowheads, the arrows of Thaqif. Thaqif was Banu Thaqif. They were the people of Ta'if. The arrows of Thaqif have burned holes in us. Like they're, they've killed us with their arrows. فَدْعُوا اللَّهَ عليهم. Make dua that Allah destroys these people. Make dua against them before we leave here, O Messenger of Allah. And the Prophet wasallam, he raised his hands to make dua Everyone held their breath. And the Prophet ﷺ said in that moment, he said, Allah mahdi taqifan. Allah, guide the people of Taqif. Guide the people of Ta'if. And then the Prophet, ﷺ, as they were departing from there, the Prophet ﷺ again made dua. He said, Allah O Allah guide them. Wakfina mu'natahum. And protect us from their harm. Protect us from their harm, but guide them. He did not wish. He did not wish ill upon them. He did not. Make du'a for their guidance. And the Prophet ﷺ at this moment also commented. The narrations mention that he told the Sahaba, "Inna ma bu'ith, uh, bu'ithu Rahmatan. Inna ma bu'ithu rahmatan wa lam The Prophet ﷺ said, "I was sent." as a mercy. I was not sent to curse people, to damn people, to doom people to destruction. That's not why I was sent. I was sent as a mercy. Do not ask me to pray for the destruction of people. Ask me to pray for their guidance. And then after 20 some odd days, the Prophet and the Sahaba left the siege of Al-Ta'if and returned on the way back to Makkah. And on the way back to Mecca, they would make one more stop. This is known as Al-ji'irrana. And inshallah, in the next session, we'll talk about exactly what happened, what transpired at the place of Ji'irrana. This is where they distributed the spoils of war. And a very powerful moment occurs over here. And then secondly, this is where they did the ihram from and then they would go to perform Umrah. But we'll talk about that inshallah in the following session. What I wanted to take the opportunity now, since we're talking about the people of Ta'if, I wanted to talk about in conclusion, what occurs with the people of Al-Ta'if. So the narrations, they mention that the following year in the month of Ramadan, so this was the month of Shawwal, the month after Ramadan, because they came to conquest of Mecca, Fatshu Mecca in the month of Ramadan, and then most of the month of Shawwal, 20-some odd days, most of the month of Shawwal was spent in the siege of the city of Al-Ta'if. So basically, 11 months later, in the month of Ramadan, the people of Ta'if would send a delegation to the city of Medina. And they came to the city of Medina, they sought permission to have audience with the Prophet ﷺ. They met with the Prophet Sallallahu and they accepted Islam. The delegation accepted Islam and they brought the good news that our people back in Ta'if are interested in accepting Islam and we would like to make peace and come under the the, 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 the protection of Islam and the guidance of, the, of Islam and the Prophet Sallallahu and the Prophet Sallallahu gave them the testimony of faith and welcomed them into the community and the people of Ta'if accepted Islam. At this moment, you know, in conclusion, Ibn Kathir, ta'ala, he shares some thoughts and reflections. He said, أَن أن He says, This is from the divine wisdom. This is from the divine wisdom that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had decreed that the, that the Muslims would not win the siege in the battle of At-Ta'if, that they would not be able to penetrate through the walls of the fortress of At-Taif. Why? Going all the way back to the first time the Prophet ﷺ visited the city of Al-Taif. Going all the way back then, a decade ago. When after the passing of the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, the wife of the Prophet ﷺ Khadija, but the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ Abu Talib, with his passing the Prophet ﷺ lost the protection in the city of Mecca that he had from Abu Talib. So with the passing of Abu Talib, and now Makkah becoming a lot more hostile even towards the Prophet ﷺ, and the Prophet ﷺ kind of saw the writing on the wall that the stay in Makkah might not be able to last a lot longer. The Prophet ﷺ, we talked about this in detail here in the series, but as a quick refresher, the Prophet ﷺ wanted to explore opportunities outside of Makkah. The first opportunity that he explored was the city of Al-Ta'if. Due to being the second largest city in Arabia at that time, home to the second most powerful tribe after Quraysh, Banu Thaqif. The Prophet ﷺ came to the city of At-Ta'if. And we all remember, we all know exactly what happened. The Prophet ﷺ came very peacefully, very respectfully, sought permission from the leadership to be able to address the people. The leadership rejected the Prophet ﷺ. And when the Prophet ﷺ then tried to leave the city of At-Ta'if, they sent a lot of the troublemakers in the city after the Prophet ﷺ to basically harass him. And they, the way that they harassed him was that they threw rocks at him. They stoned him, threw rocks at him. And they threw rocks at him from the city of Taif all the way to Qalm al-Manazil, which is a distance of three miles. And they split up into two groups and one would throw rocks after the other so that they would throw rocks at him at every step of the way. And they aimed for his feet to injure him because they weren't supposed to kill him because they couldn't do that, that would start a war between Makkah and Taif, but to injure him badly. And they threw so many rocks at him and injured him so badly, his feet were bleeding profusely. So much, so, so much blood came out of his feet. And he bled so much from his feet that it soaked into his sandals and dried up and crusted and kind of glued his sandals to his feet. And when they finally left him, then the Prophet sat down, he had to Zayd bin Haritha, had to rip those sandals off of his feet his feet were bleeding so much that he fainted he became unconscious this is what the people of taif did and it was at that time that jibril alaihi salam came and the prophet at that time made a dua allahumma ashku ilayka du'a wa, wa hawani ala rahimin. oh allah <coughs> i complain to you of my weakness of my lack of resources and me not commanding enough respect with these people, oh Allah, oh O mo, Most Merciful of all of those capable of showing mercy, wa you are the caretaker, the Lord, and the master of the weak, the oppressed, and you are my Lord and my master. Ilā who will you surrender me to? Ilā 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 ba'idin to a merciless creature that will that will abuse me? Am ilā aduwin amri, or to an enemy and let him have his way with me? بِكَ عَلَيَّ غَضَبٌ As long as you are not upset with me, Allah, I don't care what they do to me. وَلَكِنَّ عَافِيَتَكَ هِيَ All I want is your protection, O Allah. أَعُوذُ بِنُورِ وَجْهِكَ الَّذِي أَشْرَقَتْ لَهُ الذُّلُمَاتِ عَلَيْهِ أَمْرُ الدُّنْيَا that I take protection with the light of your face, O oh Allah, that removes and dispels all the darkness and that can solve all the problems of this life and the next. <laughs> that you never be angry with me. Or that you never punish me. I will continue to serve you until you are pleased. And no one has the ability to do this and the strength to resist giving up unless you give it to them powerful du'a he made. And when he made this du'a, Jibreel alayhi salam came to the Prophet وسلم, and he also had with him the angel that is in charge of the mountains, and he said, Ya Muhammad, إِنَّ رَبَّكَ يقرأ عَلَيْكَ السَّلَامِ God sends you his salams. He said that Allah heard what they said to you and what they did to you. O, o Messenger of Allah, if you want me to crush these people between the mountains, Ta'if is a valley, if you want me the mountains to just merge and collide with one another, and crush and destroy these people, then just say the word. I am at your command and at your disposal. They have earned it, they have deserved it. And the Prophet said very remarkably at that moment, he said, Bal asta'ni bihim." He said, Bal asta'ni bihim." He said, no, rather I have hope for them. I have hope for them. Powerful, remarkable. لَعَلَّ اللَّهَ أَن يُخْرِجَ مِنْ أَصْلَابِهِمْ مَنْ يَعْبُدُهُ وَحْدَهُ لَا يُشْرِكُ بِهِ شَيْئًا That if not them, then maybe from their progeny will come people who worship Allah alone. I have hope in them. I think they can, they can do something, they can become something. I'd like to see what happens. I have hope. And he, he writes here: فناسب قوله بَلْ أَسْتَأْنِي بِهِمْ أَلَّا يَفْتَحَ حِسْنَهُمْ لِأَلَّا يُقْتَلُوا عَنْ آخِرِهِمْ وَأَنْ يُؤَخَّرَ الْفَتْحُ لِيَقْدَمُوا بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ مُسْلِمِينَ فِي رَمَضَانِ مِنَ الْعَامِ الْمُقْبِلِ." And he said that this was Allah accepting. That's why the Prophet saw so calmly, so serenely. What did he say? Inna qafiluna gadan, insha'Allah. We're going to go home. We're leaving tomorrow. So calmly. Because it was the answering of the dua of the Prophet when he said, I have hope in them. That their fortress would not be overrun. That a fight and a battle would not occur. That they would not be killed. So that. The following year, in the blessed month of Ramadan, they would come to the illuminated, beautiful city of Medina, and they would accept Islam at the hands of the Prophet ﷺ. This is the power of mercy. This is the power of hope. Hope in the good of people. Hope that people can get better. This is the power of the dua of the Prophet ﷺ. We need to remember this. Each and every single one of us, we need to remember this, to continue to hope in that mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that brought those people who threw rocks at the Prophet Wasallam and allowed them to be in the city of Medina, the city of the Prophet Wasallam, in the masjid of the Prophet Wasallam, sitting in front of the Prophet Wasallam, holding the hand of the Prophet Wasallam in their hands, and proclaiming their belief in the Prophet Wasallam. That's that mercy of Allah. That's the power of that hope. We need to similarly have that hope. We need to remember that mercy in regards to us, in regards to people, in regards to all of humanity. And our du'as first and foremost need to always focus on that mercy, need to focus on that hope. That this is one of the most powerful lessons learned from this incident of a taif that if you're just simply counting action, if you're just simply focusing on the action, there wasn't a lot of action in this battle. This would be one of the side notes. But this is maybe one of the most powerful moments from the life of the Prophet ﷺ, where you see his beautiful dua. That to us is unfathomable. How do you make dua for somebody who threw rocks at you for three miles and made you bleed? How? But this reminds us of the power and the beauty of that dua. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that's been said and heard. Subhanallah bihamdihi, hamdihi, subhanakallah bihamdik, hamdik, ilaha illa anta, nasagfiru wa